Remember when your mother told you if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all? Well, I guess that tells us a lot, right? At least Pete Moss today thinks, ah, we don't have anything good to say about anybody, so we might as well just be quiet. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. I promise you one thing. We're not going to be quiet today. We're going to weigh into pretty much everything that is important to our nation and therefore important to everybody on the planet Earth. I think we would all look at the world a bit differently if we understood what the United States of America represents for the most of the rest of the world. I've spent some time overseas with some people from various levels of education and jobs and professional lifestyle, and most everybody looks at the United States, and I'm talking about across Europe, across Asia, across Africa, Everybody looks at the United States as a shining light on the hill. It's a place they look up to. They're jealous. In large part, they're jealous for what we've had for so long. Life very successfully. A government that until now has never been questioned to being of the people, by the people, and for the people. We're slipping in to some European government-style life. And Americans here today don't like it. And people over there that used to think we were far better than they are, they're looking down at our at their noses at us. Why? Because of our feckless, top-down government that is just tearing this nation apart and working for someone other than we the people. I don't think anybody can credibly debate that. I'd love to chat with you. And anytime, as a matter of fact, you want to chat with me or anyone else that's on this show, you can give us a call toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. And you can call that number anytime. And you can talk to us about anything. Let me say this. We don't have a sensor somewhere that has a thumb on a drop button to try to shut anybody up that calls and is on the phone. And for that matter, I'm the one that would answer your call. You can say anything. You may hack me off and you may get hung up on, but I'm never going to be rude. I don't expect anybody that calls here to be rude either, but you, you know, you just can't ever tell. We'll take it, whatever it is, when it gets here, right? What's up for the show today? We're going to start with some really important news. Today's a big day at the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll tell you exactly why and what's going on there. And then all of the radioactive fallout on Capitol Hill for this debacle that happened early this week over that so-called amazing border control bill that one Republican, one independent, and a Democrat 
all three members of the U.S. Senate, put together. And it was supposed to, at least they told us for weeks, here's what it's going to do. And it did a little bit of what they promised, but they didn't tell us what was in the small print. And it was nothing but a horrendous government power take from We the People. Just one more. And of course, they think we're all accustomed to that now, so we'll just deal with it, right? A lot of fallout after the fact. Mitch McConnell, believe it or not, he's on the hot seat in the U.S. Senate among his fellow Republican Senate members. And don't forget, the court, Supreme Court's got a big case they're taking up t- today. I don't know when we'll get their rend- rendering on uh, this whole thing. It probably will happen quickly. What thing is it? It's Donald Trump. Should he be kept off the 2024 presidential election ballot? Bunch of cases around the nation, and it all boils down to what they're going to say. We've got a few experts that are going to weigh in on that, too, here. And maybe a surprise or two this morning on the show. So, you get set. We're going to listen to this song, and I challenge you, tell me where this song came from and who it is singing it. And then we'll get down to business right after this. Sit tight. Dot, 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 dot. Here comes that familiar feeling the Friday's famous for Yeah, I'm looking for some action And it's out there somewhere You can feel the electricity All in the evening air And it may just be more of the same But sometimes you want to go Where everyone knows your name So I guess I'll have to wait and see I'm just gonna let something brand new happen to me And it's alright It's alright It's alright It's alright It's alright Bright lights in the big city Belongs to us tonight I've got the magic in Time I touch that track, it turns into gold. Now everybody knows I've got the magic in me. When I hit the flow, the girls come snapping at me. Now everybody wants some rest all magic. Tricks that I'll attempt will blow your mind. Pick a verse. Verse, I'll hypnotize you with every line I need a volunteer, how about you? With the eyes, come on down to the front And sit right here and don't be shy So come on, come on, let's see the show tonight Prepare to be astounded No ghost of hope guys You know I'm no Pinocchio, I never told a lie They call me Mr. Magic, man I'm on cloud nine I've got the magic in me Cool song. 
You think? Who was that? Where did it come from? Well, I'll give you the name of the group. The Trebles. T-R-E-B-L-E-S. And it was from a movie. I'm not going to tell you the name of the movie. If you want to know it, reach out. If you know it and want to get a prize, <laughs> which would be, thank you for calling in. 1-866-378-7884. 1-866-37-TRUTH. Anyway, anyway, this morning, sometime later this morning, in the next couple of hours, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to take up the ballot uh, challenges, specifically from the Colorado challenge that uh, came out, the Colorado Supreme Court. They ruled that Colorado could remove Donald Trump's name from the 2024 presidential ballot. It was appealed by former President Donald Trump, and it's gone all the way to the Supreme Court. They are going to hear that case today. And so what's in it? What's in it and what's going on there? Colorado Supreme Court ruled in December Trump should be disqualified from the Colorado primary ballot. Why? They said because he took an oath to the Constitution and then he engaged in insurrection in violation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, if you're a regular here, we've been through it ad nauseum what that is, the 14th Amendment. What does Section 3 say about all this? And the bottom line is it doesn't say anything specifically about it. Yes, insurrection by the Constitution is a law. Insurrection can be considered to be a criminal act. That's at least according to the U.S. Constitution. But there are a couple of problems with all this. The first thing is nobody's ever charged Donald Trump with insurrection. None of these places, these states or cities or individuals that are filing these suits claiming that Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot because he committed insurrection. They're saying that not only is there no evidence of it happening, but he was never charged with that. So what does everybody think is going to happen? Well, the left-wing donor-backed group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics, they filed the lawsuit in September on behalf of six Republican and two unaffiliated voters, including one person, this is kind of cool, a 91-year-old former Republican state legislator, Norma Anderson. They argued in their challenge, Trump should be removed from the ballot for his alleged role in, quote, recruiting, inciting, and encouraging a violent mob on January 6th. The voters told the Supreme Court in a brief that the former president fails to even acknowledge, much less to rebut the most damning evidence against him. The thrust of Trump's position is less legal than it is political, they wrote. They're recognizing that fact, right? He not so subtly threatens Bedlam if he is not on the ballot. I didn't know there was anything in the Constitution about Bedlam, did you? Trump's brief raises five counter-arguments. Here's what he is maintaining in his suit that the Supreme Court is looking at today. He is not, first, an officer of the United States. Secondly, he did not engage in insurrection. Third, that only Congress can enforce Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment. 
the amendment only prohibits holding office rather than appearing on the ballot, and that the ruling violates Colorado's election code. Quote, No prosecutor has attempted to charge Trump with insurrection under 28 U.S.C. paragraph 2383 in the three years since January 6th, despite this ongoing chorus of chaos and investigations of President Trump. That's in Trump's brief that he filed with the Supreme Court, and for good reason. President Trump's words that day call for peaceful and patriotic protest and respect for law and order, which it does. There is no evidence that's been presented anywhere of Trump actually committing an act of insurrection. Trump was kept on the primary ballot in Colorado in their January 5th certification deadline. Why? Because a ruling was appealed to the Supreme Court. Nevertheless, his brief notes that more than 60 lawsuits or and administrative challenges have been filed to remove him from the ballot in multiple different states. Some state courts and election officials, including California and Michigan, they've rejected bids to remove him from the ballot. A number of federal judges have also tossed challenges to his eligibility brought by the little-known presidential candidate John Anthony Castro. That's the second time I remember ever saying Mr. Castro's name. Meanwhile, the main Supreme Court, they declined in late January to weigh in on whether Trump should be disqualified from that state's ballot before the Supreme Court. Maine's Democratic Secretary of State Shinna Bellows ruled that he is ineligible on December 28th. And then John Yu got a lot of respect for John. He, he is a really smart law professor at the University of California, Berkeley. He said it's unlikely the justices will reach question of whether Trump engaged in an insurrection. In other words, he doesn't think they're going to even take that part of it up. But you predicted they would rule on one or several of the other arguments raised by Trump. Here's what you said. It gets the courts out of the job of picking and choosing who gets to be on the ballot. And it returns the election back to the people. So the November election will be decided at the ballot box and not at the courthouse. You said he thinks Trump's strongest argument is that the text of the 14th Amendment just doesn't cover presidents. 27 different states, 27, have urged the justices to ensure Trump stays on the ballot, warning that the Colorado decision threatens to throw the 2024 presidential election into chaos. Now that the Colorado court has intruded into an arena where courts previously have feared to tread, swift intervention is essential. That's what the states told the Supreme Court. Ted Cruz, also majority leader in the House, Steve Scalise, along with 177 other members of Congress, likewise filed a brief in support of Trump, and they argue the Colorado Supreme Court short-circuited Congress's roles in enforcing Section 3 and authorizing a candidate, candidate otherwise ineligible under Section 3 to hold office. Jenna Griswold, she's the one, the Colorado Secretary of State, who started this. She argued in a brief that Colorado has the authority to, in her words, exclude ineligible insurrectionists from its presidential primary ballot. 
limiting the ballot to candidates qualified to hold office, as Colorado's law does, is not discriminatory because the qualifications for holding office apply equally to all candidates and all parties. Her brief argues. So everybody in the news media, everybody has been pontificating about this for weeks and months. And everybody's taking sides. Everybody's got their opinion. I don't do this very often. But early this morning, MSNBC, they aired a segment about this. And remember who you're about to listen to, MSNBC. We know who they are. We know how they roll. Listen to these brain surgeons analyze this whole thing. The Supreme Court will hear the 14th Amendment case to bar Donald Trump from the primary ballot. Oral arguments are set for Thursday with the justices weighing Colorado's decision to disqualify Trump from that state's Republican primary ballot for engaging in insurrection. Trump's attorneys have claimed the Supreme Court ruling to remove him from the ballot would, quote, unleash chaos and bedlam. More than a dozen other challenges to Trump's eligibility for office are now pending. Joining me now, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General Harry Lippman. He's a legal affairs columnist for the LA Times and host of the Talking Feds podcast. Harry, thank you very much for being here in the short time that we have. There are two key questions around the 14th Amendment. Does it apply to presidents? And what counts as insurrection? So help us understand how the Supreme Court could answer either of those questions. So look, the text fits. It, there's a lot of historical analysis, and they've had uh, been a whole a whole avalanche of his uh, briefs that really have driven home the officer argument doesn't really bear up very well. And insurrection, we saw it in front of our eyes. They have what they need to make the ruling, and there's nothing anti-democratic about saying insurrectionists need not apply, and it's in the Constitution. But it's a very vexing moment for the Supreme Court because you have to think they're going to be loath to authorize a sort of quilt work, different pattern in different states, Trump off in, in Colorado, on in Wyoming, et cetera. They are in a tight spot. And the 14th Amendment also leaves open whether someone like Trump should be kicked off the ballot or prevented from holding office after he wins the votes. Which interpretation is more likely from the justices? Again, the ones that they'll may use for a sort of off ramp that you can see why they want don't really hold up very well legally. But when it says he's prevented from holding office, it's it follows just as it would if he were 34, that he can be prevented from uh, standing for office as well. The, the plain text, many things point in favor of it. And yet so many people, I have to say I'm among them, see the Supreme Court as being reluctant to uh, pull the trigger on it. You know, Colorado is one of the 16 states and territories holding primaries a month from now on Super Tuesday, right. March 5th. Do you expect a Supreme Court decision about Trump's ballot access before then? It'll be fast. I don't think it'll go all the way to June. They said a very quick briefing schedule. So around then, Jonathan, I think they are conscious of the calendar and they're going to move in Supreme Court terms uh, pretty quickly. And speaking of the calendar, Trump's federal election interference trial is no longer on the calendar for March, pending a decision on his immunity claim. What could that mean for the overall timeline of this case? 
Well, of this case and all the federal cases, it does feel as if the time is slipping, slipping, slipping. This one, there's still, in the election interference, there's still a lot of time. But the big problem with the D.C. Circuit isn't just that about 26 days have elapsed. It's what they might say when they do come out, because their ruling might lead either to Supreme Court review, especially if the Republican on the panel goes a different way, or it may cause a remand that then Trump can try to bring up the system again. So we're not at midnight yet, but we are approaching it, and it's and it's very important what the actual reasoning of the D.C. Circuit is. We have to hold our breath and wait. Right. And last question, um, Harry, Fulton County, Georgia DA, Fonnie Willis admitted she had a, quote, personal relationship with a special prosecutor. Um, how much does public perception around this matter um, around this matter for her Trump case? That's exactly the question, because there's no legal basis for a conflict now. But there are, you know, there, we have the drumbeat from a Georgia special investigation. Jim Jordan has subpoenaed her. They will try to keep this alive, but there is zero, I mean zero, legal basis now for actually saying there's a conflict. Wasn't the smartest move, but it has nothing to do with whether she can adequately prosecute the case now. I don't know who that guy was that was talking there, the so-called expert. He introduced him. I didn't recognize the name. But that last statement that he made is a hard-line leftist statement because they disagree. Think about conflict of interest. Talking about funny Fanny, however you want to pronounce her first name, Willis, that DA from Atlanta, that every part of this crush by her to get Trump convicted of election fraud in Georgia, if it was just perfectly clean, I would say, yeah, there's a reason to go ahead and have that trial. But look at the evidence that's come out. She is so conflicted and her actions that she is still trying to bury, bringing in a guy that had never been involved in prosecuting anything like this, and that guy is her so-called expert prosecutor. He's the one that's going to take this to the goal line. We're going to run the whole game against Donald Trump and keep him from the White House. So conflicted. So many different ways. You know the you know the case. I'm I'm not going to go through the details again. David Axelrod, you remember David? He was the architect of both of Bill Clinton's presidencies, and he is a hard leftist, and he despises, along with most hard leftists, Donald Trump. Here's what he said about this. Now we're going to switch networks. You just heard that from MSNBC. How about let's flip over to CNN? where host Aaron Burnett is talking with Axelrod. Axelrod said this, Let me preface it by saying it is stunning three years after Trump left the Capitol in disgrace, having sold this lie of the election had been stolen from him and having incited people to storm the Capitol that he's in the position he's in and we're in the position we're in. That's David Axelrod talking to CNN host Aaron Burnett. I'm not here as an apologist for Donald Trump, and I'm certainly not here as a lawyer, but I'm sure that one of the things the Supreme Court has to consider is what is the impact of a decision like that? 
Well, I think that probably is number one or number two on the minds of every one of these Supreme Court justices. They don't want to get involved in the political process. Why? Because the Constitution is very clear on it. The people are supposed to decide who serves in the White House, period. Not a court, not a judge, not a prosecutor, the American people. Our forefathers thought enough of the American people way back then, 200 and something years ago, that they trusted we the people to make the right decisions for us individually and as a whole, our state's citizens and voters, and then collectively, those from every other state, every other state. It's all supposed to be we the people, not we the government. Axelrod continued, you know, there are myriad legal questions that they're going to consider today. Some will undoubtedly offer off-ramps if they want an off-ramp. But I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if the Supreme Court said, we're removing the front-running Republican candidate from the ballot and essentially telling America, you won't have the opportunity to vote for him. And I think it would be very, very disruptive in this country. He continued. He said, I think it will create a huge reaction, and that worries me. It worries me partly because of Donald Trump. There's so much cynicism about our institutions already, and you know, the strength of our democracy are these institutions. You can argue that's why you have to go the way Colorado courts suggest, but I think in the minds of many voters, maybe most voters, this would be a subversion it would draw a very strong reaction. Now, you can say what you will about David Axelrod. He, I don't like him. I never have. He gets out when he's working in a, in a campaign. He gets out on the edge every time. He communicates very rashly and snotty, especially if he's talking about or talking to conservatives, and especially Donald Trump. Axelrod also noted Trump's trial in D.C. where special counsel Jack Smith got a four-count indictment against Trump relating to his efforts to contest the results of the 2020 election in August on charges that included conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy against the right to vote, and to have one's vote counted in conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th proceedings. Smith, by the way, didn't charge Donald Trump with insurrection. Now put that in the context of what we're talking about today. If every state that is out there, they're using in their cases that Donald Trump should be convicted for his insurrection on January 6th. Where did he commit insurrection? Specific examples. I'd love to hear them. None of these cases, none of them point to any specific insurrection that he did. They just use that as the catchword, the umbrella for all of the allegations they're making. But remember this, isn't this the United States? Isn't this where everybody is considered to be innocent unless and until they are convicted in a court of not being innocent but being guilty of the charges against them? That hadn't happened. One would think with all of the chaos 
mainstream media devoting tens of thousands of hours to this cause since 2020. I mean, they have piled on it and all of these so-called experts, they pontificate and you know what they're doing? You know what you're hearing from them? You're not hearing any facts. They're not talking about anything that's evidentiary because there isn't anything. And just this one thought just slipped through my head. I wonder if anything about the specifics of what happened that day after Donald Trump gave his speech at the Ellipse and thousands of people went down to the Capitol and the so-called Capitol insurrection began to happen. Does anybody remember the things that Donald Trump said to those people, those insurrectionists, the ones that he incited? Do you realize that that special January 6th committee, the one that was a show committee hearing, it was never a real committee hearing. It was put together by Nancy Pelosi with one purpose and one purpose only. She instructed them basically, the members of that committee, only two of them that were Republicans, and they're really not Republicans, they were rhinos, rhinos in name only. They didn't hear any evidence that you and I didn't hear on TV. They didn't get to question the witnesses. They didn't get to cross-examine. And by the way, most of the documentation from that committee just suddenly disappeared when Democrats in the House lost the Speaker's seat. And Kevin McCarthy went and notified that committee, you are to preserve every bit of anything that was part of that January 6th committee hearing show trial. Wasn't even a trial, it was just a show for television. Nobody says anything about that. Nobody says anything about all of the videos that I saw. We we showed them at truthnewsnet.org days after it was all over. Capitol Police were removing barriers. They had those barriers up across sidewalks that would lead up to the Capitol building. Multiple different examples of those Capitol Police removing those barriers and telling people and waving them to come on in and go into the Capitol. There are so many things there. Steve Baker, almost every time he comes on this show, he gives us new evidence, new revelations that prove that election was not fair and square. And now court cases, in many cases quietly around the nation, several dozen have already pointed out and proven and have made determinations in courtrooms that there was fiddling going on, some of it at major scales, about the 2020 election across the nation. And if you ever bring that up, remember, if you even mention it, you are immediately labeled as a denier. You're a J6 denier. They don't care about facts. They don't care about evidence. They don't care about the rule of law. They are driven, all of them, from the top to the bottom by one thing and one thing only. Get Donald Trump. Don't you let the orange man back in power in this nation. And you just need to sit down and shut up or we'll label you. 
will come after you in your next campaign. Whoever runs against you will end your political career. That, it's guaranteed to have been happening across this nation. If you don't believe it, and you can get in a one-on-one conversation with your member that represents you in the U.S. House of Representatives, do it and ask them that. Any pressure, and make sure you tell them it's off the record, I'm not going to repeat this, not going on a show, this is just me and you talking. You represent me. I'm the people that you represent. Ask me this. Answer me this. What kind of pressure have you been getting to not look further into potential voter fraud in the 2020 election? You'll find one or two that will say, yep, that's exactly what's happening. If it's not happening, why would all of a sudden even Republicans in leadership go stone quiet about it? Think about that for a minute. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. Look my Johnny is. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Locked and loaded with Truth Ammo. Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. Yeah, the problem we are taking aim at is the truth is not being told like it should be. And even people that in the past have never hesitated to say, look, this is not right. This is wrong. This is evil. This is illegal. People that normally were, I mean, sane and would say those things because they were factual, they're stinking scared to death right now. They're being threatened very subtly in most cases, I'm sure. But think about the political process, the one that we live with today, not the one from even 10 years ago, but the one we live with today. It's totally weaponized. Every part of it is weaponized. And one of the greatest weapons that are used against lawmakers is dollars and cents. Not only do people say, we're not going to support your campaign if you go this way, and if you don't do this, or if you think about doing that, we're going to stop 
giving to your campaign, they'll even go as far as threatening careers and giving examples of how the hardcore sycophants in the government in the political system have done it in the past. Not everybody that chooses to not run again does so because they're tired of being in Congress. Think about that. So-called 70, 70 Democrats are giving up their post in the government, and that's because they want to go on and do different things, or they feel like their service has ended to the people they represent. Some of that, I'm sure, is stone-called truthful. But I'll guarantee you, based on circumstances and things that we have heard and seen and studied and know are factual throughout the last few years, there are a lot of people that did really good work for their representatives, the people that live in their districts and states, that are just headed to the hills because they can't take it anymore. Why can't they take it anymore? You know the answer. Everything in Washington is based on one little phrase, actually one word, quid pro quo. We'll do this if you do this, and if you don't do that, here's what we're going to do. That's the way a lot of the world rolls, folks. I'm sorry. And this week, we've already had two great, big, large political things in D.C. that both fell flat. One, of course, is that big border security, so-called border security bill that Chuck Schumer and the Senate pushed it down. Do you know, we heard about this thing and they began to talk about it, but they wouldn't give us any details. For weeks, they would say, well, this bill is going to take care of this. You won't have to worry about it anymore. But they wouldn't do it. Do you know that it is factual? The leadership in the Senate, And I'm not just talking about Schumer. I'm talking about Schumer and McConnell. They told those three people that were the so-called architects of that bill, Kirsten Sinema, uh, what's his name from Oklahoma, and another senator were the three that were working on it for months. They told them, do not, uh, they, who's they? It's leadership in the Senate. They told them explicitly, do not let this bill or its contents be leaked to conservative media, and they even said specifically Sean Hannity. Now, why wouldn't they want this out there? We all know the answer. We've had three monstrous omnibus budget bills in the last five years. We've had three of those that were the exact same thing. None of those bills were prepared in regular order. That means going through the committees where they're debated, they bring in witnesses, they propose amendments, and then the committees vote on those, the finished product, and if they pass it in committee, then it'll go to the leader of their specific chamber, either the Senate, the majority leader in the Senate, or the House Speaker in the House, and then that person determines if and when those bills that came out of committee go before the full Congress. None of these omnibus bills work that way. Nobody sees the contents except those that are crafting it behind the scenes, and those are usually usually congressional aides that work for these individual representatives and senators quietly behind the scenes. And then when they pull it all together 
It'll be a thousand page, 1500 pages in some case, and they'll demand it's going to go out there to a floor vote in three or four days. There is only one reason that that happens. They want to hide it from you and me. So we have that thing going on. We'll get in a little bit of that in a bit. But then the other thing, what is it? The attempted impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. But guess what? It's not over. Now let me explain. The articles of impeachment against him failed by a vote of 214 yay and 216 nay votes. Four Republicans joined every House Democrat to vote down the effort which has been championed by House Republicans for months. The supporters of that effort attributed the failure of the vote to the absence of House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. And Steve's a good friend. He's another Louisiana congressman, and he is currently receiving treatment for blood cancer. And he indicated they will likely pass the articles of impeachment on a motion to reconsider When he returns to the House next week, it ain't over, in other words. The Republican detractors had a position that they believe in. That's great. Now we'll just do it when Steve Scalise comes back. That's coming from House Majority Whip Tom Immer, who is responsible for securing votes on the floor. We have a close vote, failed on a tie, he said. We'll win it next week when Scalise is back, so don't worry about the Mayorkas thing. That came from Tom Cole. He's the House Rules Committee chairman. The other guys brought a person out of the hospital. That's perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. We'll probably win next week. Now remember this. you got to put every legislative thing for this session, you've got to put it all in this context. House of Representatives currently has four vacancies. Three belong in previously Republican-held seats because of resignations and one expulsion, with Scalise's absence bringing the party down to a one-seat majority in the chamber. This is really a hard way to govern with just a one-member margin. This narrow majority was attributed as a reason for the loss by many rank-and-file members. We have a narrow majority. Everything's more difficult. That's Republican Rep. Brian Steele of Wisconsin. I think we'll have an opportunity to see impeachment vote come back before us. And he said, I think we'll pass it. Mike Johnson's going to wind up impeaching Mayorkas as soon as Congressman Scalise comes back. That's Glenn Grothman of Wisconsin, a Republican. Sometimes you got to take chances in the business, he added, explaining the failed vote on Tuesday. The day before Valentine's Day, a special election is going to be held in New York's 3rd Congressional District, That one was formerly occupied by the guy that got kicked out of the House, Republican Rep. George Santos. Should Republican candidate Maisie Malisi Pillip defeat her Democrat rival, former Rep. Tom Suozzi, it would give the party more room for arrow in a second vote, which some members are banking on, to ensure Mayorkas is impeached. We'll get it done next week when Scalise comes back, when we hopefully win that election and in New York, and so I have confidence. That's Carlos Jimenez of Florida. Some members, though, 
They're unsure as to whether a second impeachment vote was going to happen. I don't know what the plan is yet. That's just happened last night. That's Celeste Malloy, a rep from Utah, Republican, the newest member of the body who assumed office November of last year. It was a tied vote, and then one vote switched. That's not exactly a resounding defeat, so we're going to regroup as a conference. I'm sure we'll all know more in the next week or so. Now, just so you know, that one vote that was changed, it was the last vote that was cast, basically. It was done so purposely. The guy that made that vote, and I can't remember his name. It's not one of the common names, but nevertheless, he made it for a procedural permission that was necessary if they want to bring it back up, the impeachment of Mayorkas. There has to be an objection like that. And so that enables them to bring it back up. And I promise you, they're going to do it when Scalise gets back at least. So what else is happening out there? Well, it hadn't been a good week for Joe. And I think that's a mild explanation of what happened. This week has not been good at all. Earlier in Virginia Beach, Biden seemed completely, totally lost, dazed, and confused. You decide. My dad... By the way, you docs are good, but if there's any angels in heaven, they're all nurses, male and female. My plan, that's uh, in stark contrast to, not, by the way, there's an awful lot of really good Republicans, but the MAGA Republicans are a different breed of cat. No, they're not bad or good, they're, just very, they're very different. If they have to pay out $159,000 billion let, less, prescription drugs, I want to make it clear, I'm going to raise some taxes. I cannot believe that man is president. Can any of you? (laughs) Hannity hit the bell there. I cannot believe that man is president. I don't know how it happened. At this point, I really don't care how it happened, but we've got to write this ship. We've got to write it very quickly, as soon as conceivable, or we're just going to continue down to the abyss that we're headed toward as a nation right now. I'm just saying. We need to think about that. Now, regarding this bipartisan, so-called bipartisan uh, border security bill, you know, I explained the other day what the Democrats consider to be bipartisan. If, uh, let's say, there are 212 members of the House of Representatives, anything that any bill they consider, if they get some kind of support from one or two Republicans, and remember there are 220 Republicans in the House, but if they get one or two Republicans to jump ship and agree with whatever the House Democrats are working on, They automatically call that, oh, it's a bipartisan bill. We have Republicans supporting it right alongside with us. (laughs) Yeah. So my state Republican senator, one of our two, Cassidy is the other one, Mark Twain of this century, Senator John Kennedy, he told Martha McCallum yesterday that Republicans do not consider the bipartisan border security bill to be a deal at all. 
Senate Appropriations Committee Chair Patty Murray released the text of that legislation. It provides $60 billion in aid to Ukraine, $14 billion to Israel. Sunday evening after weeks of negotiation between Senators James Lankford, Chris Murphy, and Kirsten Sinema. The bill was blocked yesterday after a motion to move forward with it failed 50 to 49. Some of my Democrat colleagues say Republicans welched on a deal. This is John Kennedy talking to Martha McCallum. There was no deal to welch on. As part of this supplemental bill, we asked to have some border provisions explored that might slow President Biden's open border down. Leader McConnell appointed James Lankford to do that. He did the best he could negotiating with people that support an open border. He brought the product back to us in the Republican conference, the Senate. We said, James, talking about James Lankford, we appreciate your hard work, but this is not sufficient. That's what happened. McCallum asked Kennedy, I understand that people on both sides have very big differences over this, but you don't think there were some provisions in there that were worth moving on? Kennedy replied, I don't see how anybody could look at this bill and confidently predict it would have been an improvement. And then he took aim at Joe Biden. Kennedy said, I don't think he cares. When somebody doesn't act like they care, Martha, sometimes it's not an act. Yes, the legislation would provide $60 billion in aid for Ukraine compared to $20 billion for security on our border. 60 to 20. 60 for Ukraine's protection, only 20 for ours. It also gave NGOs, those non-governmental organizations that are supposedly taking those illegals and getting them taken care of, and all those hundred-plus thousand unaccompanied minor children, they're one task, and they're getting paid billions of taxpayer dollars to do this. Their one task is to find places in the United States to safely place these unaccompanied minors in circumstances that will be good for them and they'll be taken care of. A couple of months ago, we knew that there were over 100,000 of those kids out there. And the question was asked, have we checked up on those kids? Where are they all now? Almost 100,000 at that point, 85,000. And the answer was very clear. We have no idea. Now think about that. Now remember where these kids all came from. Countries in Central America, South America, some from other countries around the world for that matter. And they're being brought here. It's part of a money deal. Don't ever let anybody try to convince you that the cartels are not going in and marketing their program to moms and dads across Central America specifically and as well as South America. And they tell these moms and dads, look, we'll take your kids. We'll get them into the United States. They'll be legal once they get in there. They'll be taken care of. And we're going to do this, not just because we're people among you. We're one of you. You're us. But we've got to, we've got to, it's going to cost us money to get them there and take sure, make sure that they're taken care of. So it's only going to cost you 
And the number goes anywhere from $8,000 to $30,000. Now, most of these parents don't have that kind of money. You know that. If they did, they wouldn't be sending their kids away. But they are so concerned about the circumstances in their country. And looking at that, they see no real good future for their children. But they look at the U.S., that shining light on a hill, beacon on a hill. And they say, okay, we're in. So we'll make a down payment on you, and we'll pay this amount every month or two. They cut a deal. So the cartels get them over. Most of the times they do. A lot of times they don't. Border Patrol people find dead bodies all over around the border, sometimes months later after they've died. Many of those are children. Mainstream media won't talk about it. They won't show you pictures and shoot video. It's a horrible thing to see. But Americans need to understand this whole southern border thing, it's about one thing. Now, yeah, there are multiple layers underneath it, but it's the love of money. It's the opportunity to seize billions of dollars. Reportedly, the cartels collectively are making a billion dollars a month on this cottage business. You can't credibly fault somebody that wants to make money if they're doing it in the right way for the right purposes and they're not breaking laws when they do it, which the cartels are, but they don't care. They're in the tank with the Mexican government. They're paying the Mexican government millions of dollars to look the other way on all of this. And meanwhile, our president, I have no way of determining what I'm about to say is true. But in the context of everything we've seen Joe Biden do since he's been president, and by the way, even when he was vice president for eight years under Obama, and then before that, a nearly 50-year Senate career, he was known for being the money guy. He was the guy that was a deal maker. He put all kind of stuff together. It would not surprise me if there wasn't something regarding dollars and cents, that at some point in the future, it may slip out. Somebody may get mad and talk about it. In fact, there are some people coming to testify before congressional committees in the next few weeks that probably know factually if any of this happened, where and how, and who all was involved in it. Sometime from some person, something's going to come out, I'm pretty sure, that is going to implicate our president personally in wrongdoing. Just my thoughts. Sometimes I'm right when I guess ahead. Sometimes I'm wrong. We'll see what this one is, right? Back after this. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) heard that before you deserve to save i know i need you to hear me you deserve to save i deserve to save 
I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at Geico.com. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you are an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you can see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. For just a few minutes, we're going to take a breather on our federal government actions over here. And we're going to go over to the Middle East. Yeah, we got a war over there and we're, I guess we're involved in it as a proxy. I can't say that. Proxies in this Israel-Hamas war are countries like Iran that are over there feeding these terrorist groups money so that they can use to attack the United States in its various locations in uh, in Iraq and in Syria. And they've done it. Three Americans have died. Well, we didn't see our president responding in any way whatsoever other than a few comments on news shows. I'm sure he was on the phone talking to people, but it took forever for him to act. And he finally did. And then we find out from the experts on the ground over there, the millions of dollars that we spent attacking so-called proxies of Iran, the Houthi rebels and others over there. It was almost like somebody was telegraphing what we were going to do, where we were going to do it and what it was going to be because there was no mayhem mass destruction of infrastructure for any of these terrorist operations. And over the weekend, several experts weighed in and said it it was like these were foretold to the people over there. Hey, I just got to let you know what's coming up. We hear that Joe Biden's going to have some missiles and some bombs and some drone action taken in this particular location the next couple of days. I'm just saying... You might ought to think about moving some people around and some of your infrastructure around to keep it from being blown up. I heard a couple of experts, one of them in a conversation said it was nothing more, nothing more than a multi-million dollar fireworks show. Well, maybe the word got to Washington, but they ramped it up a little bit. On Wednesday's broadcast of MSNBC's Deadline White House, I'm going back to NBC. God, I can't believe I've done that twice in one show. NBC News National Security and Global Affairs reporter Dan DeLuce, he reacted to our most recent strike, the one that killed the leader of an Iranian proxy group connected to the fatal attacks on our soldiers. And DeLuce said, Hey, it's really putting chips on the idea of diplomacy that they can help forge a ceasefire 
between Israel and Hamas. And that will reduce tensions and stop the cycle of strikes, he said. I think the problem is here. The challenge is going to be, does this actually deter and halt these attacks from these Iranian-backed groups? So even if they do succeed in killing this commander or other leaders of this militia, does that mean that these attacks on U.S. forces are going to stop? And it's just too early to say, but it's very, very difficult to challenge because there are years of this kind of thing that have been going on in the Middle East. Iran uses these proxies to sort of exert influence, create huge headaches for its adversaries. So it's too early to say how effective this will be over time. And again, I think the administration is really putting its chips on the idea of diplomacy, that they can help forge a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, and that will reduce tensions, and that will sort of take away this, stop this cycle this escalatory cycle that we're in right now. Now, that's from an NBC reporter. Our Secretary of State was over there the last few days, and he met with Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. They've had several get-togethers, come-to-Jesus meetings. It's interesting to me that after every one of those meetings, we never hear Netanyahu talking into a camera or talking on a television broadcast about all the good work that our government is doing to work, help them work this Hamas thing out. When he does speak, he speaks to the world, not to us in the United States, he being Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister. So our secretary of state, Antony, no H in there, Antony, Antony Blinken got up on a platform yesterday informing us about the wonderful meeting he had with the leadership in the Israeli government about this. Netanyahu was part of it. And he actually said yesterday, hey, it looks good for us to instigate and lead these people into a ceasefire. I've had very positive conversations with the prime minister and those that work with him. And we're very positive we're going to be able to help broker a ceasefire with Hamas. Y'all clap for me. Five minutes later, (laughs) it's that long, news comes out of Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made clear to the United States Secretary of State Israel will not stop this fighting until every member of Hamas has assumed room temperature. And I'm paraphrasing. Why, oh why, did Joe Biden choose Antony Blinken to be his Secretary of State? It's impossible to be able to reconcile it. Blinken's got a horrible past in foreign affairs. He was up to his eyeballs in the Benghazi debacle. Everything he has said or tried to do and jibe Netanyahu into doing through this whole thing has just floated away into nowhere. 
It's like everybody in the Biden administration lives in a bubble and everything that happens in that bubble is always going to be portrayed as being successful when hardly any of it is. And they're being led by this guy, Joe Biden. Yesterday, he told donors that he talked about the so-called insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, that he had a conversation yesterday with German Chancellor Helmut Kohl. Helmut Kohl, by the way, died four years. Days after it was reported that the geriatric Democrats said that he had recently met with French President Francois Mitterrand, who was also dead at the time, Biden bragged about the high rollers with his tale about his conversation with Cole, who passed away six years ago. That's another example of where our commander-in-chief is in his mind. That gaffe took place at a campaign event in New York City yesterday. He was spinning a yarn about his first G7 meeting as president, which took place in London, and he mixed up coal with then-German Chancellor Angela Merkel. (laughs) How do you mix up a man (laughs) with Angela Merkel, who, by the way, she was always easy to recognize. She was a heavyweight in Germany for a number of years, and the way she was so easily recognized is that she's a woman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Helmut Cole said, Joe, what would you think if you picked up the phone and picked up the paper tomorrow and learned in the London Times on the front page that a 1,000 people stormed the parliament, broke down the doors of the House of Commons, and killed two bobbies in the process, trying to stop the election of a prime minister? That's Biden telling this story about Helmut Kohl. And he's talking to his campaign supporters at a rally in New York City. There were about 50 guests there, including actor Robert De Niro. And they witnessed it all. And telling a tale of another conversation that he'd be hard-pressed to have without a Ouija board, Biden said he had met with Mitterrand, who has been dead for nearly three decades, at G7 during a speech in Vegas over the weekend. And I'm going to quote him. I have it here. I'd let you listen to it, but you'd get nauseated like I do when I find this crap. Here's what he said. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, he at least got that switch right, looked at me and said, Joe, (laughs) you know why? How long you back for, he said. And that's a direct quote. And I looked at him And the Chancellor of Germany said, what would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in the London Times, yada, yada, yada. Biden clearly meant to say that he had spoken with current French leader Emmanuel Macron, who was in attendance at G7, but it was yet another unforced error that his critics have been pouncing on. In 2022, while speaking at a White House conference on hunger, nutrition, health, Biden gave a shout-out to Representative Jackie Wolosky, Republican from Indiana, who was killed in a car accident month early, two months ago, before it happened, before he made this speech. Jackie, where's Jackie, he said, talking about Representative Jackie Wolosky, who died in a car accident a few months before. 
And then he said, I think she was going to be here to help make this a reality. She must not be here. Biden is now having pretty much, I won't say daily, but near daily mental misfires. And all of this is only reinforcing the perception among voters that he's not here either. He's somewhere in la-la land. Oh, my gosh. Well, Dave Rubin. I really like Dave Rubin. Do you ever watch any of his podcasts? I do it in sound bites. Um, he's very conservative, and he is a non-typical, I don't know if he's a Democrat or not, but he is in the middle, but he's very non-typical of that. You wouldn't call him conservative, but he is conservative. Why wouldn't you call him conservative? He's gay. He's married to a man. They've adopted children. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but normally people of that ilk aren't Republicans, aren't conservatives. I don't know if he's a Republican either, but he is very conservative. But every once in a while, he gives us some inside scoops that make me want to go, hmm, what about that? This is one of them. Why should you be able to get any contracts in the United States government? If you're going to advise foreign nations who are hostile to us and make gobs of money off of them, why should you be getting U.S. government contracts? What is going on here with Ukraine? And I would disconnect that very obviously from all of the lies that Rashida Tlaib and AOC just said about Israel. Israel has a, an enemy on its border. They're not asking for troops or anything else. They're asking for military support so they can stop a genocidal organization from killing them. And by the way, they still have American hostages, which nobody talks about. It's As opposed to Ukraine, where it's very unclear what the goals are, we just keep pouring more and more money. And you might go, well, what's that all about? Check out this headline and you might kind of figure it out. BlackRock, JP Morgan and McKinsey working on Ukraine Reconstruction Bank. So they are going to put together a giant bank. You understand these, these giant conglomerates that own all of these assets and everything else. And I'm not even saying everything about them is evil. I'm just trying to show you what is going on here. The more that you can't, you can't, uh, the more that Ukraine gets demolished and destroyed, the more that these companies will come in for the reconstruction and somehow they will make a whole bunch of cash. Let's go back to Congress one more time uh, because there was another hearing yesterday uh, and this is Josh Hawley pressing global managing partner of McKinsey and Company over why they, and they're sort of like BlackRock and these other companies, why do they do business with America's enemies? Like, is that good for America if we have these giant corporations that do business with, say, China and these other countries that are undermining American values? That doesn't seem great, does it? My question is, why should you be able to get any contracts in the United States government? If you're going to advise foreign nations who are hostile to us and make gobs of money off of them. Why should you be getting U.S. government contracts? Senator, we've never worked with the Chinese Communist Party or the central government in China, to the best of my knowledge. You're working with state-owned enterprises. This, this is, China's not a democracy. They own these companies. These companies are doing the bidding of the Chinese military, and you're making money off of it, hand over fist. My question is, I guess if you want to do that, I, I guess it doesn't violate the law. But I just wonder, why is it that you should then be able to turn around and make $850 million in one year alone off the American taxpayer? I mean, explain that to me. 
Senator, um, our work with the federal government, uh, we stand behind. Uh, we bring... Well, I'm sure you do. It's incredibly lucrative. That's the problem. You make gobs of money off of our enemies, and then you turn around and you make gobs of money off of us. It's outrageous, frankly. You know, I know a lot of the congressional stuff that we show you, it's a dog and pony show, like not much of it happens, right? We can expose things, but not much happens after. But that's a particularly good moment because Hawley's right. When the, when the McKinsey guy, they get government contracts, right? So they get government contracts from the United States. So you as a taxpayer, you pay for these government contracts for McKinsey to do their reconstruction of Ukraine and all these other things. And then, and then at the same time, they work with other countries like China, although he says we've never worked with the Communist Party, but as Holly points out, it's the Communist Party. They own all of the, the assets in China, all of these companies that you're working with, they own them. So they're taken from both. And as again, as Holly points out, it's like, yeah, maybe you can get away with it, but what do we stand for in America or are we just a shell company? I think the most salient observation that he made listening to Missouri U.S. Senator Josh Hawley and what he said was the fact that this kind of stuff continues. It operates 24-7. We have private corporations in many cases, but also publicly traded corporations that Americans invest in. Some of their retirement money and their simple IRAs, their 401ks are invested in some of these companies to make money. So it's a good thing to make money. But you just heard that one witness say, we don't work directly with the Chinese Communist Party Okay, that's okay. You would think it was okay. But everybody understands and knows there is no business, no transactions of any kind at any level in China unless the Communist Party of China is involved in it and in many cases operates it. They're the people you're talking to when you need decisions made. I know that for a fact. We have a young man that is close to us, his family and our family are extremely co- close. He's from Shreveport. And he has been for years now, he's an IT expert. He has been working in the United States for one of the largest CPA firms. And his job is to interact every day, all day, 24-7, with the people that run TikTok, the social media giant. I'm trying to get him to come on the show. I know there are things that he can't talk about. And I'm ready to get him up here to tell us the stories that he can tell us. And if that happens, you will find out as parents, you need to make sure your kids don't use TikTok and don't even look at it on somebody else's phone. Why is that? Every few weeks, we find out one more thing that the Chinese Communist Party is using TikTok for to get into our U.S. infrastructure. It's happening every day. It's been happening every day for years. TikTok is not a good social media outlet for anybody in the United States. Now, how can you say that? We're a free country. Our government's not supposed to suppress what we can see and read and hear and watch. Well, when whatever we're hearing, seeing, and watching and looking and listening to 
whenever it attacks the very fiber of our nation in a bunch of different ways, they have their fingers all through our internet, the federal government's internet, private citizens' internet here. You shouldn't be making allegations like that, Dan. It's not an allegation. Let me tell you why it's not an allegation. If it was bad, excuse me, if it was good, if it was the opposite of what I'm saying it is, you would think that everybody would be willing and wanting their people to use it because it's good. There's not a single Chinese person in China, not one, that has TikTok on their phone. Their government doesn't allow it. Now, if it was so good and so benign and didn't affect negatively or impact anybody that was using them, why would they do that? I mean, they're trying to be perceived as the most progressive company, uh, country on the planet now. They're the best and the leaders of the world, and everything they do is good. <laughs> I guess you can cherry pick it. Any of us can, and determine something we don't like, determine it's bad. But they literally have been caught in large fashion and caught way after they began to do it, infiltrating our U.S. power grid. And it was an accident that was discovered. That's just one example. Evil is evil. It's going to be evil. And people that embrace evil, they don't care that it's evil. There's an end that they want to use evil to get. In this case, China, they want access to everything we have in the United States. And they're committed to do anything and everything they want to and can do to reach those objectives. Nobody should credibly in any way be able to talk you out of banning TikTok at your house. You need to think about it. This morning, at an early morning prayer meeting, a close friend of mine, I go to this 6 o'clock prayer meeting every Monday through Friday when I'm in town or physically capable of doing it. And after it was over, it's a 30-minute meeting. This guy comes up to me and says, you heard what happened to me. I said, no, what happened to you? He said, in about 12 minutes last week, somebody hacked in to our bank accounts. Not only did they clean out our bank accounts, multiple accounts, they set up in our name using our credentials and they opened up Bitcoin accounts, Cash App accounts, Venmo accounts, they opened them up. We didn't have those accounts. And they moved a bunch of the money they wiped out of our accounts. They moved it over into these apps so that they could later access what they had just stole from us. And yesterday, they got some answers from the bank. Guess where this originated? And I'd already heard this was happening across the nation. It was happening from China. And you know what they used to get the openness to go and do that? TikTok. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. 
morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Home internet. What a pain in the... Hey, neighbor! Try T-Mobile. It sets up so fast. It's like Wi-Fi that runs on 5G. Home internet from T-Mobile? Wait till you see. Tell me more. Tell me more. One cord's all that you need. Tell me more. Tell me more. Don't you worry about speed. I can't believe it. It's just 50 bucks. Why pay more? Paying more sucks. T-Mobile Home Internet seems too good to be true. But uh, that's what T-Mobile can do. workout gear. Leave feeling empowered. Come in for snack time. Leave more fulfilled. Because when you shop at Target, you leave with what you value most, like healthy foods for your family and brands that lift our communities. At Target, the things that matter are always within reach. What we value most shouldn't cost more. I'm betting that probably most of you, when you hear that song of the Beach Boys, Wipeout, you weren't around when that was a big deal in the early 1960s, mid-1960s. Oh my gosh, that was huge. Going to the beach was everything then. And it all began out west. They started with the hippie movement. You remember that? A lot of that was outgrowth from people coming back from uh, Vietnam and hating our government and hating our corruption and the structure of the United States. And we were all doing everything. The only reason we were doing it was for money. And I was just a kid. I mean, I was born before the 60s. But I was, um, I left the 60s as Let's see, how old was I? I was a teenager when the 60s ended. But nevertheless, things were real different then, but music was too. That was pretty cool, what you just heard at the beginning of that song by the Beach Boys. So anyway, President Biden, he's got all kind of problems on his hand. And even as he heads up hoping to get reelected for president, he still refuses to recognize the fallacy of whoever got him to think that these things that he claims every time he goes anywhere is successful for the American people. One big one that has just now been exposed, actually yesterday, we know we have massive inflation here, and he still touts that there is no inflation. It's coming down. It's not coming down, folks. It 
is not coming down. It doesn't take a top-shelf economist to tell us and convince us that everything's good in our economy. We're not stupid. We go to the store. We go shopping for clothing. We buy gasoline. We buy diesel. And we operate our homes. And our families see it too. Tell me today, convince me, that I can go to a named chain, food chain, anywhere across the nation, and that it doesn't cost me at least 20% more today than it did in the fall of 2020. You can't maintain that. It's unbelievable how much more expensive everything is. So in spite of Biden trying to convince us he's doing such a great job, and by the way, the rate of inflation is slightly decreasing from its high point. Its high point. It was a record launch from where it was when Joe Biden was elected to get to that high point, and it's nowhere near inflation isn't getting back to where it was when Joe Biden took office. But they don't want you to think about that. Oh, you're just looking at it from a different perspective. Things are fine. Prices aren't bad. Inflation certainly not, and it's coming down, and people are making more money, and everybody should be happy, jumping around, begging me to come back again. Yesterday, facts came out. The administration's green spending, you know, all of that great stuff that's going to save the world, cars, all kind of crap. We find out yesterday It's all playing a big role, a really big role in our growing federal deficit. Now, this isn't coming from anybody that's political. Congressional Budget Office, comprised of nonpartisan people, they report that assesses the outlook for the budget and our general economic situation for the next 10 years. They say energy-related tax credits are actually, listen to this, tax credits, they're costing us more than we initially understood and that added to those other climate regulations and actions are also making cost continue to climb. Two key factors partially offset that deficit reduction relative to last year's um, deficit projections. This is from the CBO director, Philip Swaggle. First, net interest costs rise as a result of higher interest rates. Duh, you think? Second, the cost of energy-related tax provisions are much higher than the staff at the Joint Committee on Taxation originally told us it was going to be. Those costs, they show new emission standards, market developments, actions taken by the administration to implement the tax provisions is driving our inflation, and our cost to live out the wazoo. They told us yesterday they now expect to see a substantially higher amount of money claimed in the form of green tax credits. Now, what does that mean? Somebody's going to get credit for doing some green stuff, and credit means on their taxes. That's going to alter the budget projections because of changes in expected tax money coming in and increased outlays related to those credits. 
it boils down to this. Together, those technical revisions increased CBO's estimate of the budget deficit in 2024 by a paltry $25 billion more dollars and its projections of the cumulative deficit from 24 to 33 by $500 billion, half a trillion, just doing the same old stuff. More than half of the increase in the 10-year deficit, a quarter of a billion, is from revised projections of amounts claimed for clean vehicle tax credits and of the revenues that come from excise taxes on gasoline. Of that increase, $151 billion is attributable to reductions in the projected revenues, $73 billion to increases in projected outlays. Now, the White House, when they were touting that big Inflation Reduction Act, Biden's signature climate bill that established a bunch of green energy tax credit programs, they told us that was going to reduce the federal deficit. We're reducing it by this amount over the next 10 years. Of course, he was only going to be in office for four, but they throw in anything that makes them look good, right? But there's a problem with this. A guy named Kent Smetters, the faculty director of the Penn Wharton Budget Model, in June last year, he said the bill's going to add $750 billion to our deficit over the next 10 years. And he's joining Goldman Sachs analysts to posit that the federal government significantly underestimated cost of the IRA tax credit programs. Go figure. Symbolism over substance. That's the Democrat Party way to operate any government at any level. We tell everybody, look, if you elect us, here's what we're going to do for you. And then several years later, oh, well, we couldn't estimate because the things that determine if it was right, our projections were or not, were based on things that we have no control over. We meant well. Meanwhile, you need to send the government more money. Federal government has run deficits in excess of a trillion dollars each year since fiscal year 2020. Uh, what happened in 2020? Joe Biden was elected. Who's been running our economy since 2020? Joe Biden. Budgets greater than $6 trillion have also marked every fiscal year included in that period of time. Yesterday, today's report provides further evidence of economic strength and deficit reduction under President Biden. That's from the White House of all places. The economy continues to grow faster than forecast as inflation continues to fall while the deficit is projected to be lower over the next decade than CBO last projected. That's what the White House says. And it's a lie. It ain't true. So have you noticed Joe Biden, he's on the campaign trail. He's actually doing a little more campaigning than he did back for the 2020 election. But I think his handlers are saying quietly to the fellow handlers, we need to slow this boy down. He's making a big mess everywhere he goes. And so they've got a plan now. You remember that popular Food Network show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives? Well, it looks like it might be the name of a television show, but it's also looking to be a brand new strategy that has been implemented and is being refined right now 
by President Biden's handlers to minimize his gaffes in this election year. Now, they're not going to minimize his gaffes. What they're trying to do is minimize the people that actually see and hear him make these gaffes. With the Democrat Party's continued control of everything to deal with in the White House, it all hinges on the 81-year-old's ability to convince voters that he's coherent enough to merit re-election. Can you believe we're saying that about any president running? Oh, we've got to convince people that he has enough cognitive ability to justify us voting to put him back in office for four more. Because of that, it's imperative to them to limit his exposure in those settings that we see him in, where he can make a killer mistake and preventing that from happening is a top priority. So how do they prevent it? They come up with a new plan. In recent weeks, Biden has made multiple appearances at little bitty eateries along the campaign trail. And when he's there, he meets with locals while he's slurping their milkshakes, munching on burgers and fries during appearances that can be tightly controlled. And it's being used to appeal to social media users on TikTok and even other platforms. These retail stops allow the president to do what he excels at, connecting with people in a meaningful way on their own turf. That's coming from a former aide to Politico, offering the opinion that the food stops leave Biden feeling energized. And that's what the American people need to see. He's energized. And when he's energized, he can make those gaffes that are so profuse. He can make them even more so quicker. He can think quicker and speak the gobbledygook that he speaks. In the past few weeks alone, he's visited a bobo tea shop in Nevada, a soul food restaurant in South Carolina, a cookout chain in North Carolina, a bar and a restaurant in Michigan, a coffee shop in Pennsylvania, and more, and they're bragging about it. Biden enjoys takeout burgers from cookout with a black family in North Carolina in one nine-minute video posted to his YouTube channel that was a huge hit on social media. In many ways, today's social media environment is uniquely well-suited for Joe Biden. It allows people to see him talking with the family at their kitchen table in a way that would be very difficult to replicate in the days before iPhone cameras. That's from Rob Flaherty, deputy campaign manager for the Biden campaign. He said it's very hard to get that same feeling of authenticity and connection when you have a huge TV camera in the room. While the bite-sized chunks of the elderly Democrat connecting with ordinary voters in these settings are great for social media propaganda, showing good old Joe interacting with people, you know, leaning over and smelling little girl's hair. <laughs> the far best benefit is that there will be fewer mental, mis- uh, mental misfires that show. I sounded like him. Fewer mental mer- <laughs> There are going to be fewer of those times that he's shown as the real Biden, an ongoing nightmare for everybody around him, no question about it. But in one example that things can go wrong with the geriatric career politician in even tightly controlled settings, a photo op of him hanging out with union workers during a visit to Superior, Wisconsin last month, and it was ridiculed when Lunch Bucket Joe was wearing a construction hat on backward. 
Politico even came out and tried to tell everybody it wasn't on backwards. And every blue-collar construction worker in America gave Politico the middle finger. (laughs) Just this week alone, Biden told different crowds he had recently spoken with those two dead European leaders, French President Francois Mitterrand and German Chancellor Helmut Kohl, mistaking the dead people for their living counterparts. Like with the shorter stairs on Air Force One, it's all about image. It's all about selling the rapidly deteriorating oxygenarian to the public as the man he used to be and not the stumbling, bumbling mess that he is now. You know, if you're a regular here, you know, I like to every once in a while, once a week or so, I like to check in with our friends over in the down under nation of Australia and see what their latest take on our number one guy, President Joe Biden, and what they think about his job the previous week. Here's Rita from Sky News. Before we get into that, let's cross to the US where the Democrats are having a reality check of their own. You see, the radical open border policies they championed are having an impact, not just on the border towns where millions of illegal immigrants have flooded in since the Biden administration came to power, but now the impact is being felt in places like New York City, where Mayor Eric Adams used to say things like this. You pledged uh, during your campaign to uh, keep New York City a sanctuary a city. Are, do you have any concern that that, that policy uh, is, 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 for, is attracting more people to the border? more people to cross the border to make that dangerous trip? Uh, No, not at all. Uh, This city has always been a sanctuary city, and we've always managed those who wanted to come to uh, New York City to pursue the American dream. Sanctuary city, all those feel-good platitudes and virtue signaling. But when faced with the reality of the policies he championed, this is what Eric Adams sounds like today. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut service in this city. Oh dear me, talk about a reality check. But still the dim-witted left cannot acknowledge something that even children learn eventually, that actions have consequences. You implement dumb policies, you get catastrophic consequences. And talking about dim-witted lefties, let's check in with how the ladies of The View, filmed in New York City, are coping with the small influx of illegal migrants, small when compared to what states like Texas and Arizona have been dealing with. It puts tremendous stress on, on, on a city, on a community, on the social services. 
They need to be resettled elsewhere. They need, right? they need to be out. We're this spread, massive yeah. country. Well, and it's only going to get worse with global warming and climate change because people can't live in certain parts of this world. <laughs> climate change. It's climate change. Only going to get worse. But what is the Biden administration, which has overseen record numbers crossing that southern border illegally, millions every year, what are they going to do? Well, this is their latest genius idea. No, they're not going to complete the war. They're not going to implement tough border protection policies. They're going to try to keep the illegal migrants in Texas. The LA Times reports the Biden White House is considering a plan to force illegal immigrants to remain in Texas while awaiting asylum screenings. Genius, genius. Why should Texans have to deal with this crisis? They aren't the ones voting for sanctuary city mayors and governors. Now, before we bring in Alex Antique, I just want to talk about The Voice a little bit. All through the week, I've been playing new clips from the biggest voice advocates, those who played a critical role in the formation of the Uluru Statement and how, over the years, they have been very outspoken about their plans, their plans for a treaty, for truth-telling commissions, reparations. That's the agenda. That's what The Voice is meant to usher in. And here is further proof of that agenda. Let's hear from the architect of the Uluru Statement, Professor Megan Davis, in 2021, explaining that at its heart, at its core, the Uluru Statement is about treaty. At the core of Uluru is treaty. This is what Uluru called for. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise the process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth telling about our history. Let me repeat myself, at the core of the Uluru Statement is treaty. But Professor, if treaty is at the core of the Uluru Statement, then why are we starting with a voice? Well, the Yes campaigners have also been expansive in explaining their strategy of why they need a constitutionally enshrined body so they can negotiate a treaty from a position of power. It means that it will compel the Commonwealth to have us at the table on any laws or policies that are made about our lives. And that is what the force of law can do in the Constitution. It compels the government, the Parliament, to have us at the table. If it's in legislation, as the Wyatt process says, it can only oblige. It cannot compel. Cannot compel. And she also explained why state-based treaties are not enough because the states don't have the money needed. You know why I wanted to play that part of that after they laughed their butts off at our president? Did you hear what they were just talking about? The same kind of stuff happening in Australia where there are very powerful, quote-unquote, enlightened politicians that know so much more about what's best and what's right for every Australian. We should make these agreements with each other because we know more than the other group knows. We're more endowed. We're more enlightened. And so we need to make sure that while we're letting them be heard, we make sure that when they're told something, that we know factually is bad, they have to come to us for the answers. Sound familiar? 
that's the world we live in, folks. The world we live in. We're going to take this break, but let me tell you what's coming right after the break. There is big news about the investigation by a special prosecutor into the handling of those classified documents by our president. Hmm. Now, before I go to this break, let me remind you. Joe was never president until 2021 when he took the oath of office, right? So every president has a separate set of obligations, rights, and responsibility handling classified documents. He was vice president for eight years, but the vice president has no different classified document access than does anybody else in the government except a president. Joe Biden had 1,800 boxes of classified documents spread out over four different locations. None of that documentation occurred when he was president. This was during eight years as vice president and 50 or so years as a U.S. senator. Think about that. Next, the details of what probably is about to happen on that. The verdict is in. Judge Steve Harvey is a hilariously good time. What do you think she spent the money on? Lipo and a butt job. You got as long as you need to respond to that. Judge Steve Harvey, new Tuesday on ABC. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word from Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean... (laughs) You pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like... And finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you're an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. We'll get right to that Joe Biden classified document piece, but news is coming in. You know those migrants that beat up those two cops in New York City and then fled for the West Coast, we were told? And then later, some illegal immigrants supposedly thought to be those that did that job 
in New York were picked up in Phoenix. Now we are told those that were arrested at that bus station in Phoenix are not the migrants that attacked that police, those two police officers in New York City. So what does that tell you? There are a bunch of illegals out there that are accessing all parts of our nation and wherever they go, what's the song say? Haters going to hate, 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 hate. Lawbreakers going to break laws, 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 laws. But you know, we don't need to worry about that. They're just people that are hungry, looking for a place where they can live their lives in peace and achieve the American dream that they've always dreamed themselves they were going to be a part of. There is no doubt there are people that number about those coming in illegally. They're here because they don't have the money to do it legally. They are in such dire circumstances where they live. They've got to get out of Dodge and head to the U.S. So they're desperate. In desperation, they head this way. There are a lot of good people that are here illegally, but they came for the right reasons. Does that make any sense? But I guarantee you, I guarantee you more than half of these people are not here, not here for what we hope they would be here for. We need to remember that as we're listening to all these stories and watching them play out on video screens. These are organized, in large part, organized syndicates. They're actually creating an operation that people that are illegal, they can work for. You go to the office, they tell you what you need to do, how to do it. You go do it, you come back and bring the results of what you did, and they pay you for what you did. It's being discovered more every day. That's exactly what's been going on for a long time now. They're here to make money, and they don't care about the law. If they did, they wouldn't be here. You just need to keep your eyes open. You need to keep your ears open, and don't just automatically diminish or forget about something that somebody tells you about this. In many cases, it's true. Now, to the Biden classified document debacle that is about to unfold. Breaking news in the seven o'clock hour last night, the Justice Department is promising to release a copy of its probe into President Biden over his alleged mishandling of classified documents. Apparently they've wrapped things up. But there could be a delay as witnesses are reportedly asking to review it first before it's released. I can't wait to see it. Uh, critics are raising concerns over Biden's competency after he name-dropped another dead European leader. Sounds like the name of a band. Wasn't there a dead presence? <laughs> a dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jackie Heinrich the is dead, live, by the way. Uh, that's true, too. Uh, Jackie, uh, I haven't heard Helmut Cole a lot in the news, so it was good to hear him again. <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, Brian. Um, but back to these classified documents and, and this investigation. The Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, reportedly told Congress that the investigation is complete, uh, pledging to release the findings soon to Congress and to the public and to disclose as much as possible once the White House finishes its review for any executive privilege concerns, which is expected to wrap up this week. Biden's team reportedly is not expecting any charges from special counsel Robert Herr, but they are worried that his report will include embarrassing details, including photos potentially about how he stored the documents. By the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. 
Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but at any rate, yes, as well as my Corvette. ABC reports attorneys for witnesses who cooperated with this case from junior staffers to senior advisors privately pleaded with her to let them preview portions of this draft report before it's available to the public, claiming that her might miss factual context. But her reportedly rejected their request. There's been ongoing concern that this case would hurt the president's reelection campaign, allowing voters to draw equivalencies with the legal challenges facing former President Trump, who last night Biden referred to as an exit threat. But it is how Biden referred to other world leaders last night that's making headlines again this morning. For the second time this week, Biden told a story about a 2021 summit detailing a conversation with a foreign leader who died years ago. The last time he told this exact same story on Sunday, he swapped out French President Macron for the late French President Mitterrand, who died in 1996. This time he swapped out German Chancellor Angela Merkel for the late German Chancellor Helmut Cole, who died in 2017. Talking about January 6th, Biden said, quote, I sat down and I said, well, America's back. And the president of France looked at me and said, for how long? I never thought of it this way. Then Helmut Cole of Germany looked at me and said, what would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the London Times tomorrow morning and learned that a thousand people had broken down the doors? Biden's aides apparently never told him that he screwed up because he told this exact same story using Helmut um, Cole's name at two events last night, uh, 30 blocks and three avenues apart. <laughs> so during the long motorcade, uh, no one told the president that he got it wrong and you should probably fix it for the next event. Guys. You're probably right. So Jackie, uh, your colleague Peter Ducey asked uh, Karine Jean-Pierre about, you know, why is the president saying he just talked to a dead guy? Uh, and she said, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. At some point, they're going to have to address he's messing stuff up. Yeah, and it's, you know, hard to argue that it's a rabbit hole when you have an NBC poll showing 76% of uh, voters have uh, serious concerns yeah. or major concerns about whether the president's mental fitness can withstand another four years. Um, that's a huge chunk of people, and it's, yeah. it's you know, not Republicans only in that poll. This is just that's registered right. voters. Jack, so, I, don't, uh, I, issue. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, but a lot of times they change the transcript. And, and fix it. They did say they. I think they said did, they were going to. Did they change record. Helmut Kohl out too? <laughs> I, I haven't seen the official transcript yet. Uh, the pool reports came out late last night because he had a couple of uh, events back to back. Usually, the official transcript comes out sometime in the next 24 hours. They right. did though fix the Sunday one, they and they did. strike through Mitterrand and they put in parentheses Macron. Um, they don't ever announce when they do this, um, but they also don't conceal it. You know, they strike it out and then put the correction right. in there. If you were to comb through for all of the strikethroughs in uh, the White <laughs> House reports, you'd probably get a lot. No good. All, <laughs> all right. right, thank you, Jackie. Thanks. Yeah, traffic was horrible in New York yesterday because the president was going to all of these fundraisers. Shaking the money tree. Yeah, yeah, Carly. Yeah. I know you, I heard you earlier on your show. So. Yeah, I, I was. It usually takes me about 20 minutes to get home. It was about two hours. Yeah, I think my Uber driver's still there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's never going to see right. his family again. Absolutely. It was the absolute gridlock. Took yeah. forever. So thank you, Mr. Biden. I understand you got a fundraise, but it sure uh, kept people yeah. in their cars. Biden is a laugh a day. I mean, at least once every day now, we're getting a real funny. And boy, the gaff collections is uncountable. It's getting longer and longer and longer. And every day he keeps adding a few more to the whole bit of film that they're shooting about it, putting together. We're going to hear this for years. No matter what happens, if he is able to 
repeat and be president for four more, or if he goes to the curb, find something else to do. Just eat ice cream all day. They're still going to be laughing at him in years to come. I guess you've heard about the chaos in the Republican Party, especially on the Senate side. Republican Senators J.D. Vance of Ohio and Josh Hawley of Missouri, they are flat, hacked off at Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has been part of the chaos in the Republican Party, especially in the last week or so regarding that so-called border security bill that was introduced and it got bumped, wasn't even going to be, is not even going to be considered in the Senate now. Hawley, Lee, and J.D. Vance, number among a group of at least four senators, including Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who have recently called for McConnell to leave, not just leave the leadership role, but leave the U.S. Senate. When Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas was asked if he agreed, he said, no comment. I disagree with McConnell's desire to fund Ukraine and to send money to Ukraine. I've also disagreed with the border bill that he put together. I think it was inadequate to stem the tide of illegal immigrants. So I've had a great deal of disagreement with the policies he's been putting forward. And Rand Paul was standing right next to them. And Rand Paul who, by the way, is a U.S. senator from Mitch McConnell's state, Kentucky, Rand Paul said, I agree. Well, that's a wrap on today's show. I want to thank you so much for being here. We had a lot of meat on the bone today. We got through most of it. We will have a bunch more tomorrow, absolutely. And just moments ago, news comes out of D.C. Right now, the U.S. Supreme Court is considering Donald Trump's bill that the Colorado Supreme Court put together challenging the ability for Donald Trump to be on the presidential ballot. Supreme Court is in that process right now. We'll see you tomorrow morning. You guys have a great day. Smile. It can get worse, but it will get better eventually, right? I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. Off from my city, off from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops.